the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. All to Jesus I surrender all to
Number one Christian book has always been the Bible. Number two has been another book called Pilgrim's Progress. It was in 1661 that John Bunyan was put in prison. He was put in prison for preaching the gospel. He was not a preacher. He was a tinker, meaning... He went door to door and offered his services to repair pots and pans. It was a dirty job. It was not a job that made much money. But he supported himself and his family, his children, by being a tinker. But on Sundays, he preached. Boldly, powerfully, he preached the gospel of Jesus. But he wasn't licensed to preach because he had no theological education except from the Bible. And England threw him in jail in 1661, and for the next 12 years, in a very primitive jail, he suffered weather, hunger, deprivation, the loss of his wife who died while he was in prison. Then he was out for a short time, and because his children needed a mother to care for them, he married a friend. She became the mother of his children while he was back in prison. This man went through tremendous hardship. But out of reading that Bible, he finally began to write Pilgrim's Progress. We're sharing it with you on the air. Our broadcast is named after his famous work, Today we begin with chapter 2. And by the way, I'm reading a revised version by C.J. Lovick. And we have his written permission and the publisher's permission to read this on air to you. Progress. We're Ray and Alexandra Greenlee from the National Prayer Chapel. Yes, we are. Thank you. Sometimes I forget to add that important part. Now I saw in my dream that by the time Pliable had returned to his home, remember Pliable was the one who said, I'm going to go with Christian all the way. I want what he says is available to us, but he had no burden of sin. He had no consciousness of his condition before God. And so when the Slav despond came, he bailed out and he went back home. Upon his arrival, his neighbors came to visit him. Some of his neighbors called him a wise man for coming back. Some called him a fool for 
starting such a hazardous journey with Christian in the first place. Others mocked, pliable for his cowardliness, saying, If we had begun such a journey, we would not have abandoned it because of a few difficulties. Embarrassed and pouting, pliable hid himself for a time. But at last he got a little of his confidence back and joined in with the others in deriding poor Christian behind his back. Now as Christian was walking by himself, he spied someone far off crossing over the field to meet him. When their paths crossed, the gentleman who met up with Christian introduced himself as Mr. Worldly Wise Man. He lived in the town of Carnopolicy, a very great town that was near the place from which Christian had come. Mr. Worldly Wise Man immediately suspected that Christian was the person who had set out from the city of destruction, since news of his departure had spread as far as the cities and towns surrounding Christian's former home. As Mr. Worldly Wise Man viewed Christian's disheveled appearance and heard his sighs and groans, he was convinced that this was the rumored man and began to talk with him. Where are you going? Mr. Worldly Wise Man asked. And how did you get yourself in such bad shape? And what are you doing with that great burden on your back? Indeed, Christian replied, a burden heavy as any creature ever had. And since you ask me, where are you going? I will tell you, sir, I am going to that small sheep gate that lies ahead, for I am informed that there I will enter into a way that I will soon get rid of my heavy burden. Well, do you have a wife and children, worldly wise men asked? Yes, but I'm so oppressed by this burden that I can't take pleasure in my family as I used to. I now feel as if I'm a man who has no family. Will you listen to me if I give you counsel? If it's good, I will, for I stand in need of good counsel, Christian replied. I advise you to quickly get rid of your burden, worldly wise men exclaimed, for you will never be settled in your mind until then, nor will you enjoy the benefits of the blessings that God has given you. That's what I'm seeking, said Christian. I want nothing more than to be rid of this heavy burden, but I cannot free myself from it, nor is there any man in our country who can take it off my shoulders. This is why I'm going toward that small gate ahead, as I told you, so that I may... Well, who told you to go this way to be rid of your burden? Christian answered, there was a man who appeared to be very honorable and great. His name, as I recall, was Evangelist. Shame on him for such counsel, worldly wise man protested. There's not a more dangerous and troublesome way in the world than the way in which he has directed you. Look at the difficulty you have experienced already. I can see that you are covered in dirt and slime from the swamp of despond. Listen to me. That swamp is only the beginning of the sorrows and troubles you will find if you follow that way. Hear what I say, since I am older than you. If you continue on the way that evangelist has directed, 
your journey will be attended by weariness, pain, hunger, perils, nakedness, sword, lions, dragons, darkness, and in a word, death. The truth is, what I'm telling you has been confirmed by many, many testimonies. Why should a man so carelessly cast himself in such peril by giving heed to a stranger? Why, sir, Christian said, this burden upon my back is more terrible to me than all the things you've mentioned. I don't care what I meet with on the way as long as I can also meet with deliverance from my burden. Well, how did you come to bear this burden in the first place? Worldly wise man asked. By reading this book in my hand. I thought so, worldly wise man stated softly. What has happened to you has also happened to other weak men who meddle with things too high for them. You see, said the old gentleman, you have suddenly been distracted from the important things that matter most to men. You've lost your proper focus on life. And the distractions that now command your attention will cause you to do desperate things in order to obtain something you don't even understand. I know that I wish to obtain ease from my burden. Worldly wise men went on. But why do you seek ease from your burden in a way that is surrounded by so many dangers if you only had the patience to hear me? I will direct you to a place where you could obtain your desire without the dangers you are headed for. Listen to me. I'll show you a safe remedy. Furthermore, he assured, that instead of those dangers you will meet with much safety, friendship, and contentment. Sir, I beg you, share this secret with me. Worldly wise man told him you will find the relief you seek in a nearby village. It's called morality. In that village resides a gentleman whose name is Legality. A judicious man of very good reputation. He has the skill to help rid men of burdens like the one you have on your shoulders. To my knowledge, he's done a great deal of good in this way. He also has the skill to cure those who have become mentally unbalanced because of their burdens. My advice is to go to him immediately so that you can be helped his house is not quite a mile from here, and if he's not at home, you will be helped by his son, whose name is Civility. Follow my instructions, and you will be eased of your burden. Rest assured that if you decide not to go back to the city of destruction, you can send for your wife and children so that they may live with you in the village of morality. There are many empty houses in the village and I'm sure you can live in one of them for a reasonable rate. Daily necessities are also cheap and good there, as are all the things you need to live a happier life, including honest neighbors, good credit, and fashionable surroundings. All these good things are waiting for you there. Now, Christian was rather taken aback by everything that Mr. Worldly Wise Man told him, but he presently concluded that if what the old gentleman said was true, then his wisest course was to take his advice. He reflected on the matter for a moment. 
And then he said, Sir, which way do I go to this honest Mr. Legality's house? Well, do you see that hill in the distance? Yes, very well. We'll go around that hill, and the first house you come to is his. So Christian left his path to go to Mr. Legality's house for help. As Christian neared the hill, he was struck by how high and foreboding the hill appeared. One side of the hill hung precariously over the path that wound its way around it, and Christian feared that the overhanging hill would fall on him. Filled with fear, Christian stopped his journey and stood still wondering what he should do. This burden also now seemed heavier to him than it was just moments before he'd taken this detour off the path that Evangelist had instructed him to follow. Flashes of fire came out of the hill. Christian was afraid that he would be burned. Christian began to sweat and, and quake. He was sorry that he'd taken Mr. Worldly Wise Men's counsel. It was when he was thus filled with regret that he saw Evangelist coming to meet him. At the sight of him, Christian began to blush with shame. Evangelist drew nearer and nearer to Christian, and looking at him with a severe and dreadful countenance, he began reasoning with Christian. What are you doing here, Christian? he asked. Hearing these words, Christian did not know how to answer and he stood quite speechless before him. Then the evangelist inquired further, Aren't you the man that I found crying outside the walls of the city of destruction? Yes, sir, I'm the man. Well, didn't I direct you to the way that leads to the small sheep gate? Yes, sir. How is it then that you have so quickly turned aside, for you're no longer following the way I showed you? Christian explained. After I had gone over the swamp of despond, I met a gentleman who persuaded me that I might find relief for my burden from a certain man in the village that lies ahead. Well, who was he? He looked like a gentleman, and he talked to me, and he got me at last to yield. So I came here. But when I saw this hill and how it hangs over the path, I suddenly stopped my journey fearing that this mountain would fall on my head. What did this gentleman say to you? Well, he asked me where I was going, so I told him. And what did he say then? He asked me if I had a family. I told him I did, but that I was so pressed down with the burden that was on my back that I can't take pleasure in them as I once did. And then what did he say? He told me to quickly get rid of my burden, and I told him it was ease from the burden that I sought. Then I told him I was going to the small sheep gate up ahead to receive further direction on how I might get to the place of deliverance. And he said that he would show me a better way, a shorter way, one without difficulties on the way on which you sent me, sir. And then said, I will direct you to a gentleman who has the skill to take off your burden." So I believed him and turned from the path you sent me in, in order that I might find relief from my burden. But now I came to this place, and I saw how dangerous things are. I, I stopped in fear, and now I don't know what to do. The evangelist said, Stand still for a while, so that I may show you the words of God. 
So Christian stood trembling. And then Evangelist said, See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. He also said, Now just, now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draws back, God's soul shall not find pleasure in him. Well, obviously, Bunyan is talking about legalism. Legalism is when you try, by your own effort, to do those good things that you can be proud of doing. A practical way that legalism looks is it it varies from church to church, but there's always some set of rules that are either spoken or unspoken, and you feel that if you just do those things, then you're okay. And so you start to find your rest in those things. In some churches, it's really emphasized that you have to pay a 10% tithe and attend every Sunday. And as long as you do those things then you find rest in that. In other churches, there may be more of an emphasis on personal devotions. In other churches, it may be a certain length of your, of your skirt. It may be that women can't wear pants. And you say, well, as long as I dress the right way, as long as I do whatever my pastors and elders tell me to do, then I'm following the will of God. And so you find a rest in that. And that's very dangerous because God has called each of us to be children of his. And he'll speak to each of us. He's our parent. And he desires to speak to each of us about his will for our life and for us to be obedient to that. And so we get in a very dangerous situation where instead of being obedient to God's call for our life, we instead put our confidence or our security in saying, well, as long as I, you know, dress a certain way or as long as I belong to a certain church, as long as I do what my pastor says, then I'm okay. Because now we've substituted the will of God for our life with what somebody else is telling us to do. And that's what Christian was facing as he approached this town of morality. And that's why... The Apostle Paul in the book to the Galatians said, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I'd like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing? Well, this overhanging mountain is about to fall on our young man, Christian. Now, what's significant about how Christian got off the path in the first place is he was focused just on getting rid of his burden, but he had lost sight of the celestial city to yes. which he was going. So instead of, if he had, if he, probably if he'd thought a little bit, he would have asked Mr. Worldly Wise Man, he would have said, if I go to the town of morality, will I still be able to get to the celestial city? That would have been a good question to ask. 
And that's the question that each of us face in this. There's always a threat of legalism somewhere in the Christian faith. With some people, it's keeping the Jewish holidays or not eating pork even. Now, the question is, if I go this way, will it take me off the path to heaven? Or will I stay in Jesus Christ if I go this way? Now, there is an opposite side to the coin of legality, and that is antinomianism. What do I mean? It is the opposite side where I say, Jesus did a finished work on Calvary. All of my past, present, and future sins have been forgiven. As soon as you hear someone say that, know that that person is not teaching you the path that will take you to the celestial city. You've seen some cities where a river divides the city, and on one side it's called one name, and on the other side it's called something else. Well, in this case, it's legality over here and antinomianism on the other side of the bank. The sinning Christian is probably the most popular heresy of our day. That is, the belief that Jesus unconditionally loves us and forgave us past, present, and future sins. And so you're allowed to live in the city of destruction and participate in all the pleasures of the city of destruction. But the only difference between you and the other people who live there is you're forgiven and they're not. Because you made some claim to be a follower of Jesus. It's a lie. It's a damnable lie. The truth is, Jesus called us and took the wrath of God, made the atonement on the cross to set us free of our sin, to heal us, to restore us because of his unimaginable mercy and love and compassion. I wanted to explain a little bit more about how antinomianism, which is lawlessness, and legalism are related. When you get into one of these churches that has legalism in it, what ends up happening is you think, and this is essentially what's taught, is that as long as you keep those core rules, then the rest of how you live doesn't matter. It's okay. And so what you end up having is you'll have people very strict on certain things. Maybe they won't ever go over the speed limit. Or maybe they think that they can't touch somebody of the opposite sex. And then when it comes to other areas of their life, it's as if there's no morality at all. They might have a drinking problem. They may yell and scream at their family members. But because they think that they're right with Jesus based on keeping these handful of strict rules, it gives them an excuse to indulge in sinful behavior. The book of Galatians, I believe it's Galatians, also talks about this. 
where the Apostle Paul says there's an appearance of godliness in the mortifying of the flesh, but it doesn't actually have any power to deliver us from sin. So Jesus didn't come just so that we could control our anger problem. He didn't come so that we could just get our sin a little bit more well managed. He came to actually remove those things from us. And we have a real freedom in Jesus because now instead of really, really wanting to drink or really, really wanting to fornicate or whatever the sin is, that desire is just gone. And so you're free because you don't even want the sin anymore. And you don't participate in it anymore. Yes. So when we speak of sinners, we're speaking of people who are currently still sinning people who continue to live in sin, to live a sinful lifestyle. When we speak about being saved, we're speaking about people who have been saved from sinning. Jesus saves us from sinning so that we no longer sin. And as a result, we are also saved from the wrath of God against us. So the gift of Jesus Christ is manyfold. It's not merely the forgiveness of your sins. It's salvation so that the power of sin is broken, so that you're free to walk in love and obedience to God and to love others, and to then receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit so that you can do the same things that Jesus did while he was on the earth, including preaching the gospel, helping others, praying for people and seeing them healed. We were very excited this past week. We had several praise reports at our Sunday meeting I had we we had as a church prayed for for her shoulder that she's had chronic pain in for quite some time and we asked her about it and she said I haven't felt any pain at all this week I've been moving stuff around my house I've been moving furniture old paint cans she said I totally forgot about it it hasn't hurt me at all we so we had the praise report for that and we had Another uh, young woman I prayed with who works at Panera Bread, I noticed she had some batting in her ear, and she, I asked her about it. She told me that she'd woken up in the night with a splitting, piercing pain every 10 to 15 minutes in her ear. And she is an Orthodox, Ethiopian Orthodox Christian. She said, well, I thought I'll put some blessing water from my church on it and wait and see if I'm better by tonight, and if not, I'll go to the doctor. I said, well, is it still hurting? She said, yes, it's still hurting every 10 to 15 minutes. So I said, well, can I pray with you? So I just prayed with her. She was on her break at Panera Bread, and then I saw her the next day, and she said, I didn't have to go to the doctor. Jesus healed me. So Jesus is still doing this. I saw her today, and my first question, does your ear still hurt? Oh, no, it feels wonderful. I said, Jesus is wonderful, isn't he? Yes. Thank you, Jesus. So we are first freed from our sin. We are saved from our sin. The wrath of God against us is removed because of the work of Jesus. And we then go on to receive that power of the Holy Spirit to pray for others, to see them healed, to see them set free One more story. We had a wonderful time this past week with a young man who just recently came back to Jesus, and 
he described some rather horrible demonic oppression that he was going through, that he'd been going through for months, and he was very eager to be freed from it, wanted to sincerely devote himself to Jesus. We prayed with him, and for now the past week and a half or so since we prayed with him, he said, yeah, none of that stuff has happened anymore. I'm so happy. I've been telling people about my faith. They're responding really well. He just met another young man who was very excited and said, let's follow Jesus together. Let's do this together. Let's read the Bible together. Let's get closer to God together. So I'm very excited for him. Well, we're going to share now a piece from Catherine Booth's sermon. And it will take us down the road of the wrath of God. What brings this wrath of God? Listen as Alexander shares this with you. Catherine Booth writes, There's been times when you've heard a minister say, Come to Jesus. And the Holy Spirit say, Come. Your conscience said, Come. Jesus said, Come. But there was another preacher, the devil, and he said, Not now. Wait for a more convenient time. And here you are today, with added years of guilt, added years of hardness and unbelief and rebellion, and added years of wrath. She is speaking here to people who have heard the gospel and yet have still continued to live in sin, have still continued to live a sinful life. She quotes again Romans 2, verses 4 through 6. Do you despise the riches of God's goodness? You've been despising them all this time. Mind, there are bounds even to God's patience. If he bears long and endures much, the stroke comes at last. And the longer it is withheld, the heavier it will fall. Wrath against the day of wrath. Shall the past be enough for you, sinner? Will you listen and flee from the wrath to come? The Apostle Paul asserts that this is the very end and purpose of God in sparing your life. Hence, he says in another place, those who fitted themselves to destruction as vessels of wrath, he endured with much long suffering. Oh, what a one, what an awful thought. But then you see God is God. You would not have put up with your fellow men and women for a tenth of the time that God has put up with you or to any kind of degree that God has borne with you, but he is God, and there is no finding out the depths of his infinite compassion. God knows what it will be to be lost. I often think of that. It doesn't seem so wonderful after all that Jesus Christ should die because he understood the depths of the unutterable desolation to which sinners were going. He realized the bitter cup they would have to drink, and so he took it and tried to save them from it. But keep in mind, a worse punishment awaits those who despise Christ's love. And it seems as though some people are making haste and trying their best to store up wrath, as the Apostle Paul says, as though there would not be enough of it already. Sinner, Remember, for every sin, there is so much wrath. 
you can label it off as surely as you do the profits of your day's business. Insurance brings so much more wrath. You are heaping it up, treasuring it up. It is hovering over the path you tread like some great towering black mountain. Just a puff of God's breath or a touch of his finger and it will come down and overwhelm you as the f waters did Pharaoh and his army. You are making it higher, denser, blacker every day that you live. And you know that this is true. You've had a foretaste of it already. The rumblings of its hidden fires have scathed your soul and darkened your mind, ruined your happiness. And even now, while you only catch the outer foam of its angry billows, God's loving mercy is holding it off, but it has done enough already to show you what it will be when it overwhelms you forever. Will you give up despising the riches of God's goodness? Will you now begin to flee from the wrath to come? The Lord help you. Further, I want you to see that God's purpose is frustrated continually by impenitent sinners. Paul declares this as unmistakably as he does that God tries to save them. This idea shocks some people's notions of divine sovereignty, and I can't help that. But here it is as plain as ABC, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance, but after your hardness and impenitent heart, you treasure up to yourself wrath against the day of wrath. And not only is it here, but it's in a score of other texts of the Apostle Paul's writing. The Apostle had a profound sense of the divine sovereignty, which shows itself all through his epistles. But we see from such passages as these that he had no idea that this was in any way incompatible with our free agency. Here and in many other places, he shows that his idea of God's sovereignty is that it asserts itself in legislating how men and women ought to act and in punishing them for disobedience and not in disinvesting people of their freedom in order to prevent disobedience in other words god doesn't take your way of free and doesn't take away your freedom to force you to obey him he tells you how you ought to live but it's your free choice whether or not you live that way However, if you live in disobedience to God, you will face his wrath. Paul carefully discriminates between the physical and moral sovereignty of God, a distinction which many theologians disregard. Both Paul and all the inspired writers deplore again and again the fact that men frustrate the loving purposes of God and thus bring upon themselves destruction. Didn't the Jews do this? What did Jesus Christ mean when he wept over Jerusalem and said, Oh, if you had known in this your day, away with the theology that makes that out to be hypocrisy. It was the heart's sincerity of the Son of God, and he meant every word he said. What more could Jesus have done to make them or us believe that he was sincere. He wept and groaned and spread his hands over the rebellious people 
and said, How often would I have gathered your children together, even as a hen gathers her chicks underneath her wings, and you refused. You hard-hearted, stubborn, and rebellious, as Stephen said of them, as your fathers did, so do you always resist the Holy Ghost. That was the secret of their destruction, and they treasured up wrath both for this world and the next, such as never fell on any other people. Men and women do frustrate God's purposes. We see it all around us. God's desire is that all people should be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth, that those very people who despise him should be saved and come to repentance. But not all of these are saved. Then God's purpose is frustrated in their case, is it not? Some of you confess that you're not saved. Then, my friends, the purpose of God's goodness is not answered in your case. And whose fault is it? Dare you look God in the face and charge him with the murder of your soul? If you never hear anything more than you have heard here this afternoon, you will have no excuse. Your conscience, I know, says amen to what I am saying. God's voice thunders amen in the ears of your guilty soul. You're not saved. Why? Because you are despising the riches of God's goodness, of his forbearance and long-suffering. Because you are throwing back the offer of mercy in his face and saying, No, no, I love my sin and my ungodly pleasures. I will live on in my rebellion, and I will be like those disobedient, rebellious Jews. I will refuse to know the things that make for my peace. Very well, my friend, if you will not let God make you a vessel of his mercy in which to magnify the riches of his goodness and salvation, you will by this perverseness fit yourself to be a vessel of destruction. And as such, God will have no alternative, but as our text says, to give you over to the revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will give to every man according to his deeds. In other words, we're going to be judged according to what we have done. If we receive Jesus Christ, our past sins are forgiven, they are removed from us, and we start over with a new, clean life to obey God and to serve him and to love him with our whole heart. If you refuse that, God doesn't have any choice but to judge you according to your wicked actions. You see, God will not put you out of existence in order to oblige you or to save you from the consequences of your willful rebellion. You exist. You must exist. At the judgment day, you will exist and you will exist forever. God will have to do something with you and seeing that you would not let him wash and sanctify and glorify you, he has no option but to leave you in your filth, to curse you, and put you in the scavenging house of his universe with the devil and his angels. You say, stop, stop. I'm not despising God's goodness. Are you not? What is it to despise anything? It means to treat it with contempt 
to neglect it. It does not mean saying bad words about it. It doesn't mean blaspheming God. I should hope that none of you are bad enough for that. It does not mean throwing it absolutely back and telling God in so many words that you will not have him reign over you. No, it means treating God with contempt, treating his salvation as a light thing. Some of you are doing this and have been doing it for long, rebellious years. If you had some money in a certain bank and you heard that it was in a shaky condition, what a hurry you would be in to secure your treasure. You wouldn't lose it a moment. You'd be investigating, inquiring, running to the bank to get your money. You wouldn't treat that with contempt. You wouldn't despise the opportunity of securing it. Why? Because you deem your money important. And neither would you say to yourself, Oh, I have my money. I have my money in a drawer at home. Well, in fact, your money is in the bank, and the bank is closing down. No, you wouldn't fool yourself into thinking that your money was secure when it was not in your possession. If righteousness is not in your possession, if you're still walking in rebellion and sin against God, you will be subject to his wrath. Don't say to yourself, oh, I'm unconditionally loved and I have my security and I have my salvation. No, you do not. And so, like Christian, you must wake up and recognize the wrath of God is about to come upon your life. And just because you claim you have something, doesn't mean you have it. There must be evidence that you have it. The power of the Holy Spirit resting upon you, giving you the strength to walk holy without sin before God. That's the evidence. If you don't have it, you don't have it. Let me speak a minute here about excuses for sin. Many times we're tempted to sin because of something that somebody else does to us. Now, what the other person did is wrong. We're not denying that. But you have a choice in how you respond. And to be a Christian means that you are giving up the sinful choice. So when you become a Christian, you're making a commitment that whatever comes to you in life, whatever anybody does to you or says to you or what the government does to you or what your boss does to you, or your church, or your family, you aren't going to respond by sinning. If somebody yells and curses you out, you're not going to respond by yelling and cursing them out. But you will respond in a way that is healthy, that is holy. There are many ways that that looks like. It doesn't mean that you let them keep doing it to you. But it means that you don't sin in your response to it. And the way we're able to do that is through faith in Jesus. It's a real, it's a real gift that Jesus gives us so that whatever comes our way in life, we have the power to respond in a way that honors God, that pleases him, that surprises 
those around us, how we're able to walk through certain things with integrity, with a clear, sober mind, with a good temper. And so Jesus is pleased and honored when we let him do that work in our hearts. And it's very freeing for us, even though we will still, inevitably, everybody is going to go through some kind of suffering circumstances in their life. The question is, will you walk through that by responding in sin, or will you give yourself to Jesus and walk through it in a way that glorifies God? Catherine Booth continues, If you valued the mercy and love of God for your poor soul, then you would deem it an important thing and you wouldn't neglect it. Mind, written that all those who forget or neglect God shall be turned into hell. Let me just say that again. To reject God isn't just to get angry and curse at God. But the scripture says that all those who forget or neglect God will be turned into hell. She says, Will you give up despising the riches of God's goodness? Will you come to his feet this afternoon? Will you say, It is enough, Lord? If I were to stand here until tomorrow afternoon, I could take up the time in telling you of awful cases that have come under my own observation of people who have despised God's goodness. There is a day coming when God says, I will say, Behold you despisers, and wonder, and perish. But now is the accepted time for you to be saved. We have just a few minutes left in this broadcast today. I want to highlight the question that was just asked by Catherine Booth. And that is, will you come to Jesus right now, wherever you're at, in your car, in your office? Will you stop running and come to Jesus and repent and say, Lord, I will be your disciple? The Lord has been after you for a long time. And some of you have just flat out been deceived by lying pastors and teachers who've said, don't worry about it, you're saved, you're on your way to heaven, you can't ever stop sinning. Nowhere in the scriptures is that found. You can come to Jesus, you can stop sinning, you can be made clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. Are you willing? Will you come now to Jesus? Lord Jesus, I pray now for those listening who are saying, yes, I do want to start a new life. I am tired of living in sin. I want to stop sinning. Lord, I pray now that you would touch them and set them free, Lord. I ask that in each person where there is a true repentant heart, that you would come now and grant them that new birth that you promised. Yes. And establish them in the faith and in your love. And in you, Jesus, so that they will not get blown away or deceived or thrown off track, but that they'll complete their journey all the way to heaven. Amen. Lord, thank you. We praise you and worship you. In Jesus' name.
You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley and Alexandra Greenley. We've shared this message with you because our hearts cry is that you would come to Jesus, that you would leave the refuge of lies, that you would leave behind any stubbornness of heart, that you would come to Jesus and begin to cry out after him and trust him to do his awesome work in your heart. So you can reach us. Here's how. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel. You can visit our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. That's nationalprayerchapel.com. You can listen to this message again, as well as past messages. You can subscribe to our podcast by visiting the website, or we're also on iTunes. Just search for National Prayer Chapel. We would love to hear from you. You're welcome to email us through the website to send a donation. You can also write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Again, that's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. If this broadcast has helped you get free in Jesus, or if it's helped you receive the power of the Holy Spirit, we would love to hear from you. Please reach out to us. And if you would like to be a part of our worship service on Sunday, call 703-489-1785, or go on our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, and there you'll find all of the information necessary. Also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Just search National Prayer Chapel. Well, we'll continue soon with this wonderful book, Pilgrim's Progress. God bless you, my brother, my sister. We love you. We'll talk to you soon. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.